Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today for the next installment of our List Season series is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And today, we are going to begin our countdown of the top 20 players on the 2021 Georgia football roster, at least the top 20 players as we see it right now entering the 2021 season. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that, not just today, but over the course of the next couple of weeks. But first, we've got a couple more shout outs to make as we move closer and closer to our goal of 275 five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. By the start of the 2021 season, we are now at 269, getting very, very close. And a big thank you to Daniel Jones, Higgs247, Denver Dog, and Ben Abbey, who are the most recent listeners to not only give us a five-star rating, but also take the time to leave us some very kind words in the form of reviews as well. And I'm reading all these reviews, guys, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And uh, I know that leaving reviews is not something that a lot of you probably do on a regular basis. So again, I really appreciate, we all really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know it only takes a couple minutes, but still, we know everyone's really busy. So taking the time to do that, it's, it's really, really appreciated. You are all far too kind, but I hope you know how much we appreciate all of that support. As I keep saying, I assure you guys, I promise you, it is a huge help as we continue to try to build this podcast and bring it to an even wider audience. So if you do enjoy the podcast, which we hope you do, if you're listening, like we always say, if you're listening, I hope you enjoy. I hope you're not just a masochist trying to put yourself through some sort of misery. So if you are listening and you enjoy the podcast and want us to continue to do what we do here on the show and hopefully maybe even take it to the next level, please consider helping us out with a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's a huge help. Now, I also know there are a lot of you, because we hear from you guys, that listen to us on platforms other than Apple Podcasts. So you guys can help us by following the Glory UGA Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And also, I mean, not just people who don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can do that too. Please, we'd love for you to. Everyone can do it. But after a lot of requests from all of you out there, we have finally bitten the bullet. I resisted and resisted. And honestly, I I realized I don't even have a good reason. Why am I resisting this? But 
I've listened. We have finally bitten the bullet and started a Glory UGA Instagram page. And we've got the old Facebook page going again. That's been dormant for about four or five years now. All you got to do is go to those platforms, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, search for Glory UGA Podcast, and it should come right up. If you have any issues with that, let us know. So uh, please help us get these social media pages off the ground by following, liking, sharing, any and everything, all of the above. We have built and just a really great core of listeners. You guys are awesome over the years, and we we just want to have a couple different places where you can all interact with us and uh, and and also interact with each other. And we feel like this is going to really help us in, in that in that goal. But we need your help. We can't do it without you guys. Like everything, we can't do anything on this podcast without you. So if you have Instagram, if you have Facebook, please follow and interact with us on those platforms. We'd absolutely love to hear from you guys. But all right, let's start talking some football here. As we said at the outset, today we are starting our countdown of the top 20 players on the 2021 Georgia football team starting today with numbers 16 through 20. Originally, like the idea was we were kind of playing around with this. We were going to do a full 1 through 85 countdown like every scholarship player on the roster but we ultimately decided against that because the reality is none of us have seen any of the incoming freshmen. Like we think we might know about all these guys, but we don't really know. And we haven't seen any of them play like a single snap at this point. And there are a number of other guys that might've been here in Athens for a year or two that we also still haven't seen much of. So we are narrowing it down to the top 20 players based off of what we know and what we have seen entering the 2021 season. There are no true freshmen on this list, even though by the end of the year, a couple of them, like, I don't know, maybe a guy like Brock Bowers might crack the top 20. And also, if we haven't seen a guy play any meaningful snaps, even if we're really high on his potential, even a guy that's been on the roster, a guy like Keely Ringo, for example, we didn't put them on this list either. Now, at the end of the season, we're going to go back and do a postseason top 20 players list And those guys will have a chance to make the cut then, but for now, we're just sticking with the more established guys that we've seen more of. So to make this list, you guys know the drill. We've done this a couple different times through the years. To make this list, Curtis and I, we each put together our own individual list. We then compare them, share them, and we assign point values based on where the players landed on each of our lists. Like, Whoever I had number one got one point. Whoever Curtis had number one got one point. Whoever I had number 20 got 20 points. Whoever Curtis had number 20 got 20 points. And then we just kind of added them up and whichever players had the lowest scores, that was number one and so on and so forth, right? Pretty simple. So now you'll, you'll see that some of these guys, Curtis and I see eye to eye on, and we had them ranked in similar spots on our individual list. But there were other guys we were pretty far apart on, which we will discuss as we get to all the different players over the next couple of weeks. And over the next month, what we're going to do is um, each week, we're going to release five players, five players a week, starting today again with players 16 through 20. But without any further ado, I think that's enough of an explanation, right? So without any further ado, let's go ahead and start this thing off, starting with number 20, the 20th best player on the Georgia football roster heading into the 2021 season is rising sophomore tight end Darnell Washington, who had actually only seven catches for 166 yards last year, no touchdowns, but he did start seven games. So Curtis, those are very, very modest numbers. I think it's fair to say, right? 
So yeah. What, yeah, what did you see from Washington as a freshman, despite those modest numbers, that led you to rank him inside your top 20? I think the biggest thing is how he finished the season and what you saw in the G-Day. You see he's starting to get a better feel for the position. Uh, more than anything also is like getting his body into shape. You see that he's starting to look a little bit trimmer. Um, cutting down on some of the fat and things like that. So you see him kind of work, fine-tuning his skills to where he looks like he's ready to take that jump um, next year. Yeah, so you you mentioned G-Day, right? It, how much stock – because he was – I mean, I don't want to say dominant. I don't know if anyone's dominant in a, in a spring game. But I think we had four catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. I think he had a 51-yarder in there somewhere. So clearly that was, I mean, you don't want to say it's his best performance as a Bulldog. It wasn't really a performance because it wasn't an actual game. But how much stock do you put into a performance in a spring game like that? I mean, it's hard to put a lot into it because I believe he was on the second team, which is the big thing. But the thing that I see the most is that he's running better routes. His body just looks in better shape. Those small things that which you think he can use to take himself to the next level. He looked like his... Like his body looked good last year. I mean, was he 6'9", 265, or 6'7", 265 last year? And I was actually hearing people talk about how he might be up to 275, 280 right now. He actually might have put on some weight. But he's, he, it was weird. It's one of those things where it looked like he had slimmed up, you know, like kind of moved some weight around, and, and just his body looked better. But he potentially weighed more because he added more muscle to that frame. So I love what I saw from him. I totally agree with you. I love what I saw from him at G-Day. But again, I just I don't know how much stock to put into a spring game performance. We see this every single year where guys, you know, they show out at, at G Day in the spring game, and then comes come time for the season in, in in September October, and they're nowhere to be found. I don't think that's going to be the case for Darnell Washington. He started seven games last year. He's going to start. I mean, I would imagine every single game for us this year, he's going to be a key piece of our offense. So I don't think he's just going to like completely disappear. But I, I don't know if we're going to say, okay, well, he had four catches for 84 yards, touchdown, 51-yard reception in, in G-Day. And we can expect those kind of things game in and game out from Darnell next year. Now, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but I don't know if I'm going to draw that conclusion just based off G-Day. What did you make of him as a blocker last year as a true freshman? Because that's a big part of what he brings to the table as well. Um, I thought that's the thing that you really saw him getting better at as the year went on, and he kind of it seemed almost like he took pride in it. Um, and I think we that's the biggest thing. Is he, young tight ends buy into that kind of thing. It was really great to see him buy into that as a young guy. Especially, I think that's the one part that he could come out and compete dominantly um, at that time with his size, to where he just he didn't have all the ins and outs of route running and things like that to really get himself in a place as much as where he could compete with just his size. Sure, and honestly didn't have grasp of the entire offense as a true freshman that came in last year in a COVID year without any spring practice, without really much offseason contact at all, not enough. I mean, with a new offensive coordinator and obviously the quarterback issues that we had in general, there were going to be some issues there with him just learning the system. And you started to see as the year went on, he became more comfortable in the system. He started to make more plays. Now, again, he did not make a ton of plays last year, only seven catches, 166 yards. Let's not make it out that he was something that he wasn't last year. But you're right. I love what you said earlier, Curtis, that we started to see more of an impact from him late in the season. I think he had five catches for close to 100 yards, and I think it was the last two games against Missouri 
and then against uh, Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. He made plays in both of those games. And you also, there are a couple of times where he was targeted, but it was not able to make the play. But you saw our offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, make more of a concerted effort to get him involved in the passing game. Do you see that carrying over into 2021? I think you have to, especially when you have Gilbert out there um, with the plan with him to be out there. I think you have to think of just a matchup nightmare that those two on the field bring, even though um, <clears throat> Gilbert's going to be as a wide receiver and not a tight end but the fact is they're just both big body guys that you really can't they're hard to guard one-on-one no matter which one it is yeah you're exactly right and just if you look at the individual matchups they're incredibly difficult to guard one-on-one or to defend one-on-one whether it's a linebacker on one of those guys or a safety or even a cornerback on one of those guys they're just matchup issues from that individual matchup standpoint but even more than that we've talked about this before on the show is just what they allow us to do from an offense, like structural standpoint, being able to go with tempo and being able to move from formation to formation. You can have him play in line. You can, you can flex him out into the slide. You can flex him out all the way wide. You can get him, like, you can go trips to one side, have Darnell Washington single coverage on, let's say, to the boundary. You got him mashed up one-on-one out there. He's going to make plays. There's a lot of things that he can do with his versatility. Same thing with Eric Gilbert as well, who we will get to on a future edition uh, of this series he's not on today's show but darnell washington allows you to do different things offensively to keep defenses off balance create matchup issues and just uh, really allow your offense to be more explosive and more dynamic there's a lot of things that he can do with his hybrid nature his ability to be a hybrid type player out there i think if you also match him up with brock bowers who's a guy that did not make our list because he is a true freshman we haven't seen him play we saw him at g day we haven't actually seen him in a game so we're not putting those guys on this particular list although by the end of the season i'm certainly open to the possibility that guy like brock bowers certainly could make his way into our top 20 best players on the team list. We just can't go there right now. We want to have a little bit of integrity to this list as much as we can. But you you match both those guys up at tight end, and all of a sudden now you've got another layer of matchup issues that defense has have to contend with. So I think Darnell's in line for a big year this year, a bigger year than last year. He's going to be our unquestioned starter at tight end, in my opinion. Brock Bowers will play a lot of, as well. But Darnell and, and, and Fitzpatrick, let's, not, let's just not say he's chopped liver. He, let's not completely write him off. He's going to play a lot as well. He did some good things for us. But I think Darnell, is it safe to say right now, Curtis, coming into the 2021 year, Darnell is like the guy at tight end right now? You expect it, yes. I would. I believe so. Yeah, and like things happen. We got to go through a fall camp. But right now, based off what we know at this point in time, I think it's safe to say that Darnell is going to be the guy at tight end, which he wasn't all of last year. We had Trey McKitty. Fitzpatrick played a lot. He was a young guy learning, but now Darnell, he's been in the system for a year. He's got a spring practice under his belt, although he did deal, he did deal with some COVID issues, which is one of the reasons he was on the second team at G Day. But I, I think he's going to be that guy. I think Fitzpatrick's going to play. I think Brock Bowers going to play a lot and make an impact. But I, I expect big things from Darnell Washington this year, Curtis. I, I know this is a crapshoot here, but seven catches for 166 yards last year. From a number standpoint, what are your expectations for Darnell Washington in 2021? Probably double that. I think it's that's a reasonable expectation. I, I mean, I think I, mean, I would say more than double receptions. I mean, if he only had – like, honestly, if he had 14 receptions, wouldn't you at the end of the year say that's kind of a disappointment? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you would like to think so. And I know we have a lot of different guys with the ball, too. That's one – I don't say it's an issue. It's a great – it's very cliche to say this, but it's a great problem to have. But we do have a lot of guys to feed out there. But Darnell is one of them. I would like to see him up in the 20 to 25 catch range and maybe even more than that. Um, and look, maybe you're right. Maybe it's only 14 or 15, but for me, that might be a little bit of a disappointment if that's 
where we were looking back at the season in December and say, well, he only had 15 catches this year. Either something went wrong there or we need to do a better job of getting the ball in his hands. I think this is a guy that can be a major playmaker for this offense. So Darnell Washington coming in at number 20 in our list of the top 20 players on the Georgia football team coming into the 2021 season. That takes us to number 19. Now, this one might evoke some, I don't want to say consternation, but some disagreement among certain fans out there, certain listeners out there, because Kiaris Jackson, who comes in at number 19, is something of a fan favorite. And I think for good reason. So I do think a lot of Georgia fans, a lot of listeners out there are going to take issue with him being so low on our list. Now, I would respond and say, hey, guys, he's inside our top 20 players list, so it's not like we think he's he's some scrub. He's inside our top 20 here. But I think some people would want to have him a little bit higher. He had 36 catches, 514 yards last year, 14, 14.3 yards per catch, uh, three touchdowns on the year. So, Kurt, I, I feel good with where Kiaris Jackson is on this list right now. But, again, I think some people might disagree with us, might want to have him a little bit higher. How would you defend having Kiaris where we have him right now? Well, honestly, you got to look at the end of the season. He really just disappeared, um, especially when JT took over and George was healthy. He was no, he was almost a non-factor in most games, uh, making plays and things like that. So I think that's one of the biggest things that stands out. And right now is I don't know if he's a better receiver than uh, Jermaine Burton, which I think they're going to be competing, especially if we're expecting a Rick Gilbert to play the um, out, the X position, I believe. Then um, – Right now, I don't know if he runs as good a routes um, and does all those small things that Jermaine Burton does. He, one thing that really bothers me is he doesn't catch with his hands, so he's not a sure-handed receiver. You don't think Kiaris has strong hands? I think he's a, I think he's got pretty good hands. He ha- when he uses them, he likes to catch the ball against his chest. But there were times. I think last year, I think he did a better job. But you're right. Earlier in his career, there were a few instances of that. I think that's fair. Um, so you think Jermaine Burton is going to be not more of an option at slot this year? So I, even with Gilbert, I still see Burton as an outside guy. He's not going to be the X. I still see him. I mean, last year he was a starter at Z. So you, you think he's going to get more looks at inside this year? I think they're going to use him everywhere. I, I, that's true. I do. I do. So I, I mean, that's – so if we move him inside, because, again, we have all these different options. So if we move him from time to time, moving Burton inside, you think that's going to be curious going to be the odd man out in those in those formations? I would think so, yes. I mean, because yeah, Kyrus isn't as versatile as Burton. Yeah. Kyrus just doesn't have the versatility in the wide receiver position. I, I I would agree with that. I don't think he's as versatile as Jermaine Burton. And you're you're right about it's, if you look at Kyrus Jackson's stats last year, look at his numbers. It's it's interesting. It's a very weird dynamic because the first three games of the year he averaged a hundred yards. I think he had like right at like a hundred two uh, right at like three hundred yards receiving over the course of the first three games. He was averaging like 100 yards receiving through the first three games. It was like he was leading the team in receiving through the first three weeks of the year. And you're like, wait, man, is Kiaris our one receiver? Like, We had people asking questions on mailbags last last season, asking us like early in the year, is Kiaris Jackson the best receiver on the team? And I, you and I, our response was generally like, hey, Kiaris is really good. We're really glad he's on our team. But right now he's benefiting from the, all the attention that guys like George Pickens are getting outside. And so he's getting single coverage. He's able to make plays. To his credit, he's making those plays, but he's also getting – different he's not getting as much attention as a guy like george pickens was right and then later on the year he i don't say fell off the face of the earth but you're kind of right what you said i mean if you look at the numbers last year the last three games south Carolina, missouri and cincinnati he ended the year last three games combined had five catches 
for 63 yards. Whereas the first three games of the year, he had 300 yards. That's how many receptions he had. He had 19 receptions and 300 yards over the first three games. So his numbers certainly dropped as the year went on. How do you explain that, Kurt? Well, really, um, George came back healthy, and George and JT just had a better connection going, and Jermaine really started taking off also. That our t- yeah, our two top receivers then became George and Jermaine. And like we said, Jermaine's versatility with his route running was better. He was a better deep threat getting open for the ball. There was all those things that played into it. And then we mentioned, like, go back to Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington started to get more involved in the offense, right? We started so- getting James Cook more involved in the passing game. Um, with JT, you know, kind of being more willing to take those dump offs and things like that. And, you know, it just, Kiaris just didn't become the big target. I mean, really, um, George wasn't very healthy when Stetson was there. And that for the most part, thinking back to the Tennessee game, things like that, like if Kiaris doesn't make those plays, we don't really have anyone. Yeah. And I want to give Kiaris Jackson a lot of credit. Like when we needed him earlier in the year, he was there to make plays. He made plays for us. And I think Kiaris Jackson can be a playmaker. No, but I just don't know if Garrett Jackson is like a George Pickens level receiver where he's like your alpha number one guy that's going to like – he can take the attention that George got last year and still find a way to make plays. I don't think he's that kind of guy. At least he hasn't shown me that he can be that kind of guy yet because once teams started – like once Pickens got hurt, right, and teams started to focus more on Kyrus Jackson, all of a sudden Kyrus because like that's the, that's the obvious next thing to do, right, is well, George is gone, so now we're going to start going to Kyrus Jackson more giving him more looks and teams realize that. So now he's gonna get more attention. He wasn't making near as many plays once that became the case. And then once George got back healthy, Jermaine starts to grow up, get Darnell Washington more involved. You mentioned James Cooking more involved. And I, I don't want to say Kier's the odd man out. He was still a big part of our offense and what we did, but he just wasn't making as many plays down the stretch, which is kind of odd when you consider that we all, that's also the same time as you had the emergence of JT Daniels, who really kickstarted our entire offense, especially our passing offense. So it's just kind of a strange split there when it comes to his stats, and how it worked out the beginning of the year versus the end of last year. But I'll say this. I love Kiaris Jackson. He is a leader on our football team. He is a tough, hard-nosed football player. He's a throwback kind of guy. He's a guy that will do the dirty work and go out there and block for you. He will never complain about it. If he gets if he gets 10 targets or he gets one target, he's not going to be a diva out there. And there's a lot to be said for that. And you also got to factor what Kiaris does in the return game, right? How good of a return do you think Kiaris is? Um, pump return good, but kick return I actually think Kendall Mill or uh, Kenny McIntosh was a better kick returner between the two of them. I agree. I, I think that yeah, I think Kenny's the better kick returner. I I liked what I saw from Kier. So he had some good returns last year, especially early in the year. But uh, I think he had, a, he had a couple good ones against Florida as well. If I remember correctly. Um, well, actually, yeah, he had a pretty couple pretty good kick returns against Florida. I think he had a pretty good pump return against Arkansas. Had a good one against South Carolina. Um, but yeah, I think he's a solid returner. Is he like, is he an Isaiah McKenzie joystick kind of dynamic returner? I haven't seen that from him, but he's no. a good return man. So he's, but he's a valuable, I guess what I'm saying here, he's a valuable guy that does more than one thing for us. He fills multiple roles on this team. He's the kind of guy that you want on your team. Now, is he a dynamic receiver, like a George Pickens level receiver, like we said? No, I don't think so. That's okay. He doesn't have to be. He still has a role in this team. It's a very valuable role on this team. So Kiaris Jackson coming in at number 19. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, all right, moving on here. We're going to go uh, with our first defensive player on the list and coming in at number 18 is former number one overall recruit in the country, outside linebacker Nolan Smith. So, Curtis, as I just said, Nolan Smith is a former number one overall, that's a draft pick, former number one overall player in his, in his high school class. But he's only had five sacks total over the course of his first two seasons. He's been good. He's been solid, but he hasn't been dominant. He hasn't performed up to what you would, I guess, yeah, what do you expect from a number one overall player? So what is it in your mind that has, has maybe held Nolan back from being a dominant force to this point in his career? Well, I think first off, he needs to put on some more weight. Um, I think that one thing he is, I don't know, he just seems to be easily blocked. As a run defender or a pass rusher? In the pass rush. I Here's the thing. I, I've thought about this a lot over the past couple of years too. It's like when you look at Nolan – he looks – I don't want to say small. He's not a small guy. None of our outside linebackers, nobody in our front seven is a small guy. But comparatively speaking, Nolan Smith doesn't look as big as some of the other outside linebackers. Like, compare him to Aziz. Compare him to like Jermaine Johnson from last year. I know obviously Adam Anderson's a different kind of guy, but he didn't look as big as those guys. Now, he measures in at 6'3", 235. I have seen Nolan Smith around town here in Athens, downtown, plenty of times. And I will say – when I see him in person, he never blows me away with his size. Like, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I see a lot of these guys around town, and a lot of times like, ooh, that's a big dude. Nolan's kind of like, yeah, he's not a small guy, but it's not like, wow, that dude is – that's a big dude. I do think that he needs to get bigger and stronger. Like, do you really, like how much of an impact – how much has that played a role in holding him back in your mind? I think it has done a lot because he, he you're kind of limited with what you can do with him. I think here's what I think about Nolan. I think Nolan plays really hard. I think Nolan wants to be good. I think it's really important to him to be good. I think he's a competitive guy. I think he has that that competitive juice, that, that intensity. And I think Nolan Smith has the athleticism and skill set to be a dominant pass rusher. I've we've seen it from him at times. Absolutely. I don't necessarily know that I think he needs to gain more weight to be a dominant pass rusher. We've seen a guy like Adam Anderson do it. Where I think Nolan needs to to add that weight is in his in the run game. He does a good job. He's a very willing setter of the edge. He's absolutely willing to do that, to do what Kirby calls closing there and taking on those blockers. He's willing to do that. And he does it like eagerly at times. 
So it, it, it's not a problem. Like some of those guys shy away, but they just want to go out against sacks. They don't want to play the run, that kind of thing. That's not the problem with Nolan. But this is where I think the size really does come to hurt, to hurt him at times. So sometimes when you go up against those 300-plus pound offensive linemen and you don't have that size and strength, I think that can, that can hamper you and keep you off the field at times. Where again, whereas guys like Jermaine Johnson and Azizo Jalari, a little bigger, a little stronger, are able to do that better and more consistently than what Nolan was able to do. So I look, we don't know what Nolan looks like right now. All right. I think I saw him downtown uh say early May, but he's had an entire summer to work out, get bigger, get stronger, hold nine yards. And maybe the coaches are happy with where he is. Maybe that's not what they want him to be doing. I, I don't know. But personally, I'm with you. I think he needs to gain a little bit of weight. And not, I'm not talking about a lot, I'm talking like 10 pounds, get, get up to 245. I don't think that's going to slow him down at all because he has the athleticism, that kind of skill set, the explosiveness off the edge to be, in my opinion, a dominant pass rusher. I think we have two guys in Adam Anderson and Knowles with that can both be dominant pass rushers. So I guess the next obvious question here, Curtis, is what are your expectations for him in 2021? Do you see him becoming more of that kind of guy this year? I think he will because he's going to get a lot of reps. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is he's going to get the reps to showcase him more so where he was more situational. Do you, he's, then that's another part of this. Is he just wasn't able to stay on the field enough to kind of get into a rhythm, honestly. Uh, and, and even he wasn't able to get the practice ups. There are, I've heard plenty of times from people that at practice he was actually asking Kirby, could he go work on the scout team because he just wanted to get reps. Like not being, uh, you know, not being a, a, like disrespectful about it, but just – Saying, hey, coach, I, I just want to get better. And I'm not getting the reps up here right now because I'm not, you know, the number one, number two guy. And I just want to go down there and get reps and get better. And so I, I, do, I do think in some ways that might have been a, a, a part of why he wasn't a wasn't performing up to like that number one overall player level his first couple of years. But now I agree with you. I think he's going to get a lot more snaps. Do you see him kind of taking all the Aziz snaps more or less? Um, yeah, I think I do. I mean, think about like, it's kind of strange how outside linebacker Curry, like it's gone from like this room where it was a strength, where we had so much of almost like too much depth there. Like we can't get all these guys on the field to now it's like, Oh, um, are, are, do we feel good about this room right now? Like we have Nolan Smith. We have, we have Adam Anderson. We have NJ Sherman, who we haven't really seen anything from. We have Robert Beal, who's been around for a long time now. And hopefully has one of those senior years where he really kind of just, you know, takes it to the next level. Hopefully we'll see that from him, but we haven't seen that yet. So I think Nolan's the obvious option, right? Like he, he's got to be that guy because Anderson, I mean, I know he's gained a little bit of weight, but he's he's not he did not the same kind of player as Aziz Ojolari. We're going to do different things with him. Nolan has got to step up and be that guy. He needs to take those snaps that Aziz was taking last year. And I think that he will. I think he will respond in a big way. And I think with more time on the field, more opportunities, as he gets a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, I think we're going to see Nolan take a big step this year. Now, are we talking about a 10-sack type here? Probably not because we've talked about this many times on the show. That's not so – like that's not what we put a premium on with our front seven guys. And I do think that's starting to hurt us a little bit when it comes to recruiting some of these guys. They want to put up big numbers, and they're saying, well, George Osson Limeyers just really aren't putting up massive sack numbers. I guess Aziz had a good year last year. But – with those guys are really expected to play the run more so than just pin their ears back and rush the passer. But I think Nolan can be a guy. So five sacks combined in his first two seasons. I think he's a guy that can get a seven, eight sacks. Is is that kind of what you're thinking for Nolan this year, Kurt? Yeah, I think that's doable. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not saying that like double digit sacks is outside the realm of possibility. I think no one has the capability to do that. I just like within the structure of what we ask our guys to do schematically, I just don't know if I see that. I would love to see that. And I think, again, I think like from an athletic standpoint, a skill set standpoint, I think he's capable of that. I just think we're going to set up more of that for Adam Anderson, in my opinion. So I think seven to eight sacks would be a really, really big year for Nolan Smith. All right, moving on here, Curtis. There's another guy coming in number 17, Trevon Walker. Trayvon Walker, a another former five-star prospect coming out of high school. And he's going to be moving into a starting role for the first time in his career this year, at least a full-time starting role for the first time in his career, as the five-tech defensive end over for Malik Herring. Now, he's a guy, you know, three and a half sacks, five and a half tackles for loss combined over the course of his first two seasons, similar numbers to Nolan Smith. He also has not made a five-star impact yet in his first two seasons in Athens. So, Kurt, why did Trayvon Walker make your list? Well, more than anything, the reps are going to be there. See, Malik Hearing really took a hold of that spot last year, and it, we don't always play the, that five-tech DN out there all that much with our defense, and especially with the teams we're playing. So if anyone was out there, it was Malik Herring, and he was the one getting the reps. So I think that this year you're going to see him be the guy get, that takes all those reps. And then when you look at the skills he has, it'll it'll showcase more. Yeah, you're right. And Walker's a lot like Smith. There's a lot of similarities there. I know they play different positions, but there's similarities in that former five-star prospects haven't quite played up to that level. At least haven't made that kind of impact yet. And a big part of that is because both those guys have been situational players through the first two years in Athens. Now they will both be taking on starting roles. They'll be getting a lot more opportunities, a lot more reps. And I expect both of these guys to respond in a big way. Now, I do not expect Trayvon Walker to put up like seven, eight sacks like Nolan Smith because that's not what we really ask our five techs to do. Now, I will say, like, Kurt, is it fair to say that he'll give us more of a pass rush than Malik Herring did last year? Yes, I do think he will do that. That's the one thing that he has over here, uh, Herring. Yeah, I, I think Malik was stronger, more experienced, but Trayvon's clearly more athletic. Like, no question. I mean, Malik was athletic in his own right, but not Trayvon Walker-level athleticism. Just just not. I mean, he's the most athletic five-tech that we have had. There's zero doubt about that. And he, he almost like – he hasn't really had a full-time position. Like, he's played a little bit inside, played the five-tech at times. He's coming as a third-down specialist, like kind of in, in that uh, dime package. So done some different things. So it's going to be interesting to see how he responds. It's like, hey, like, hey, you are a rank and file starting five tech defensive end. I'm sure obviously we'll move him inside and still do some of those things with him because he has that versatility on third downs. Kind of because to me, like if you put Trayvon Walker in third downs over a center or a guard, that's a mismatch. He's far too athletic for them to handle. I just he just can't really, he's not big enough right now, about 285 to consistently play on the interior of our defensive line. The five tech is the spot for him right now in our defensive scheme. And so, but again, I just don't want people to expect him to have like seven, eight, nine sacks. I don't think that's the number that he'll have. I could see him having, you know, five or six potentially, because I do think he'll give us more of a pass rush than Malik Herring. I think Malik gave us more of a pass rush than Jonathan Ledbetter did, as, as good as Ledbetter was. And I think Trevon Walker will give us more athleticism and more pass rush than even what Malik Herring gave us. Um, but I'll ask you the same thing I asked about Nolan Curtis, just in general here. So you expect more from him this year, more opportunities as a starter now. But is this the year that Trayvon Walker takes the next step and becomes a, a dominant force for our defense in that front seven? I think – honestly, I think it is. I think one thing that especially – it could be said for Nolan also, but I think their growth was stunted by COVID. They lost Absolutely. their whole – you know, a lot of people take that big um, freshman year, sophomore year – 
they didn't have that spring practice, that time in the weight room, all those times to truly take advantage of it, to get themselves in a position to take it that next step. They just didn't have it. Um, I think you saw that for a lot of kids that were, you know, we were hoping to make a jump from the freshman to sophomore year. It just didn't happen for a lot of them. And I think that COVID played a big role in it. So I think that, you know, he got this second year under the belt. I mean, you saw at the end of his freshman year, the play against Auburn, he was making some plays and showcasing that athletic ability that we were like, okay, this guy can actually do something. And you know I he was going to break out of that Auburn game as a freshman. Yeah, and, and even in the LSU game, um, you know, he missed on some of those tackles. But he was Joe Burrow, But he was back there wreaking havoc. And that's when I was like, okay, this guy's going to do something. And his growth got stunted. Um, it really just made it played an effect. And if I remember, I, I may be wrong. I thought he had surgery. Um, I he, did, he did deal with an injury. He did. He dealt with an injury, if I remember correctly. It may not have been surgery, but I do remember him having an injury. So that also, I think that all that of that one offseason really just stunted his growth. But I think that he's had the time to really take this next step. And I don't, his body, like when Nolan, some of those things that, you know, we were talking about his body and his size, that's never been his problem. I think no. him was, you no. know, truly developing the fine skills that it takes to play that position. And because just having he was the guys so athletic and move so, along. Yeah, he was so big, so strong in high school, he didn't have to do it. I mean, people saw where he was dunking the basketball. I mean, the guy was just a monster, so he could do all these things against the lower talent in high school, where now he's having to fine-tune those skills, and he just really didn't have that one offseason to really take that next step. Yeah, that, that's a, the COVID thing is a fantastic point. You're exactly right. These guys, and they missed out an entire spring practice. They missed out an entire off season of training. Like we saw videos last, you know, this time last year of Nolan, like working out in the sand in Savannah, right. On his own. And, and that's good. That's better than nothing. I'm really proud of these guys for doing that, but that's not the same as working out with a professional strength staff. It's not. And, and Nolan needed Especially that. You don't, right? you don't have, you don't have all the nutrition programs. All Absolutely. Tell you what to eat, but, but you still, I doubt they, were yeah, I know they, they had to take pictures I mean, of their food and send it in and that kind of thing, but still it's not the same. It's not the same as being there with the staff. And yeah, I think like, going back to Nolan, that, that, that certainly played a role in why Nolan maybe wasn't as big and strong last year as I thought he needed to be going into last year. And that can certainly change this year. Uh, I, I do want to address something here, Curtis. You know, we get, we talk about this, we kind of dance around this sometimes on the show, but Trevon Walker and Nolan Smith are both guys that I think can be explosive, just game wreckers in our front seven. Do you sometimes think our scheme holds them back from making the kind of impact they can make with their athleticism and explosiveness? I think the defensive line, yes. Um, I think that's one thing that people, you know, like to ring teeth or whatever you want, however you want to say it about our defensive line recruiting. What well, is difficult when we don't showcase them where you can go to somewhere like Clemson? We don't ask them to do the sexy re- stuff. Yeah, and that – and that's a lot of, even though, you know, that'll get you to the league, it's not going to get you that high first round pick, high signing bonus. Yep. Especially now with NIL, these guys want to put up numbers. That's what gets you the money, right? Like being great against the run when no one really knows what you're doing. They don't understand the impact that you just made on that play, even though you might not have actually made the play. You're reading up two blocks. They might not understand that. They don't, they do understand. They understand sacks and tackles for loss. They get that stuff. That gets you NIL stuff. So I think that's going to factor in. I mean, I honestly believe, look, I, I will defend our coaching staff schematically and what we do defensively because it works, right? It works. You can't argue with the results at the end of the day. But at some point, I fear, I worry that if we do not allow some of these guys like Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith to do what they can do more consistently and be disruptive forces, that eventually it's going to come back and hurt us on the recruiting trail. 
with not being able to land some of those kind of guys who want who think that they can do those kind of things. The other sort of saying, hey, look at us. Look at our guys. They're putting up 10, 11, 12 sacks. They're putting up seven, eight, nine tires for loss. They're disruptive forces. They're getting that recognition. You go to Georgia, you're going to be asked to do different things. You're not going to be able to put up those numbers. And you'd be crazy and foolish not think that factors in. Like, does that worry you at all, Curtis, moving into the future? And that's trying to recruit along the defensive line and the outside linebacker position? It does. This NIL is going to change everything because you think back to John Ledbetter and people like that who were really good at what we asked them to do and actually, you know, allowed people like Roquan to flourish because they cleaned up and did these things. But now those people are going to be looking for – Does anyone want to be a role player anymore? Yeah. Right? It just – it concerns me. It concerns me because, like, look, Trayvon Walker can be an absolute animal. We know – we've seen him do it at times when we allow him to go free and make those plays. We just don't cut those guys loose enough for them to make the kind of impact that I think they can make. Now, again, there's a reason for that. We've laid that out through our scheme theme month. We talked a lot about that in depth and explained that, and it works. It really does. But there's also another side of this saying, well, those guys can be more disruptive. And they can disrupt the passing game in a different way. I understand why we want to stop the run first. We've, we've talked about all that. It allows you to be more structurally sound against the pass because you don't have to dedicate as many guys to the, to the, to the run and you know, to roll safeties in the box. All that stuff is true. But at some point, I just wonder if there's like a point of diminishing returns when it comes to that kind of thing. And it does concern me because I think a guy like Javon Walker and a guy like Nolan Smith can both be more impactful than they have been. I think a part of the reason, maybe a big part of the reason they haven't been as, as impactful in the five-star billing yet is because they haven't really been allowed to consistently do the things that made them five-star prospects in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of concerns me. It's a little bit concerned. Just something to think about there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, last guy we're going to talk about today, coming in at number 16 on our list of the top 20 Georgia football players entering the 2021 season, is a new guy on the roster, a transfer from Clemson, cornerback Darion Kendrick Curtis. Now, this is the guy that we've all watched him play a little bit. We haven't seen him play as much as all these other Georgia guys because he hasn't played for Georgia. We've seen him a little bit when watching Clemson games. I've gone back and watched as much as I can. I actually watched every game of Clemson's last year. So I've seen this guy play a lot, but what is it about Kendrick Curtis that gives you enough confidence to rank him as one of our 20 best players entering the 2021 season, even though he has not played a snap for us yet. While he struggled sometimes in those big games, especially when you look at Ohio state and against LSU the year before the guy was good enough to be on one of the all ACC teams last year. So you have to take that into account. And I think that this is his money year, as you say with a lot of guys. So this is their last chance to really make a difference. And, I think someone like Kirby, um, even Muschamp, and then what you're hearing about Adai, the way he coaches, big fundamental type guy and all those small things, that those are the type of guys that can get him to fine-tune his skills to put with the, you know, you watch him, the one thing that jumps out is his athleticism. So I think that those three guys can bring the most out of him. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think to me, look, Clemson's got a really good coach staff. There's a great continuity over there. I'm not trying to say they don't have a good coach staff. They do. But in terms of defensive back coaching, when your head coach is by trade a defensive back coach, a former defensive back himself in college, you're going to get better coaching here at that position than what he got at Clemson. I, I feel very strong saying that because you got Will Muschamp, who's an old school DB coach, former defense coordinator, same name, Kirby Smart. You got a die coming in. I think he's going to get a different level of DB coaching, cornerback coaching than he's gotten before. Now, he was only going to have a couple of weeks of before the season starts. I wish he was here in spring, but that's just not the way that worked out. But Darian Kendrick, and you're right, Curtis. I'm glad you mentioned the high-profile high games. A lot of people like to point that and say, well, against the best competition, he wasn't good. And I think that is a little bit overplayed. There were a couple of times, sure, he got beaten man coverage, but you also got to look at the entire structure back there. Sometimes when you're playing cover three and the safety is not where he's supposed to be, when you expect it to be inside safety help, and it looks like you got beat one-on-one when you're playing that deep third, well, yeah, a lot of people to the naked eye say, oh, well, Darren Kinder just got burned. A couple of those weren't – I don't know if they were necessarily on him like against Ohio State. But, sure, th- he didn't play his best. I think it's fair enough to say that against those best teams. But let's also – I'm big on context. You guys know this. Let's put this in context. Darion Kinder was a former five-star player himself. But, Curtis, you remember he was recruited as an athlete, right? Pretty much a receiver when he came into Clemson. He's only been playing cornerback for two years. And he played cornerback at a high level for a guy who'd never played that position before. It's not what he was. He was pretty much a receiver. So he was a two-year starter at cornerback for Clemson, one of the best teams in the country over the past couple of years. Played at a high level, high enough to to get named to some all-ACC list, as you mentioned. Was he perfect? No. No, he he wasn't. I mean, he, he absolutely has a lot of room to grow. We've gone over the numbers, pro football focus for whatever that's worth, 70.1 overall grade, 68.9 grade in coverage. Um, let's see, at 81.8 passer rating again. So solid numbers, but not like standout elite numbers. But he also had some games where he was shutting people down. Now, was it against the best competition? No, I can't sit here and say that it was. But we've seen enough from Darion Kinder from, from an athleticism standpoint and also understand that now he's got two years as a starter under his belt. He's going to get better coaching. He's growing more and more as a defensive back as he gets more accustomed to playing that position, more comfortable playing that position. I think Darian Kendrick is in line to have a good year for us at cornerback. Do I expect him to be an elite shutdown guy for us? A DeAndre Baker for us? No, I don't expect that. Like Honestly, you're like, do you expect that? Like, like Sometimes I think fans, like we're all excited to get him because we don't have to necessarily have two guys that never played before starting cornerback. But I think in some, in some ways people are maybe overvaluing him. Do you expect him to have like – a DeAndre Baker shutdown type impact for us this year? I don't think anyone will nowadays the way college football has changed, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I don't believe in shutdown corners anymore. I just don't. Yeah, I 100%. I think there are guys who are elite, that are elite at what they're allowed to do within the, the con, confines of what the rules allow them to do. But I don't know if I believe in shutdown corners anymore. But I think Kendrick can be a really good player for us. And I still would argue I feel much more confident going into the season with him back there with his experience then uh, going in there with two guys, potentially maybe Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo, potentially maybe in a mere speed, who essentially played no meaningful snaps in their life going into week one against Clemson. I feel a lot better about that. So I think Kinder's a good player. I think he has a lot of room to grow, and I expect him to make improvements this year, to grow as a player this year, because I do think he's going to get better coaching. Um, but I don't, I, but so I think 16 is about right for him. Do you feel comfortable? Because I know we need our individual rankings here. Do you feel comfortable? Having Kendrick at 16, like where did you have him in your own? I'm going to actually pull this up. You had him at 
I don't remember you, exactly where, but I think you had, a, you had a number. Yeah, you actually, you had him exactly number sixteen, so it worked out almost yeah. exactly where you had him. So you feel good about that? I do. Yeah, I think the guy has the skills to even be a top ten guy, but it, you just don't know. That's a good way to put it. I think there's a couple of these guys. Like I think at the end of this season, at the end of this season, if we did this exercise again, okay, this is our preseason top twenty players. Who are our postseason top twenty players? I think Darion Kendrick, I think Trayvon Walker, I think Nolan Smith, I think Darnell Washington, all potential. They have the ability to potentially make their way inside the top 10 at the end of the year. you agree with that, all those guys? I do, yeah. Yeah, now Kiaris, and again, I love Kiaris. I don't know if I see Kiaris inside the top 10, but the other four, Kendrick, Tray- Trayvon Walker, Nolan Smith, Darnell Washington, I think with big years, they because they're all going to get more opportunities. I think they could find their way inside the top 10. But right now, I think 16 is a safe spot for Kendrick coming into this year, and we'll see how the season goes. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. That's the first five guys on our list of the top 20 Georgia football players entering the 2021 season. We will be back next week to continue on revealing the players on this list. Next week, we will have players 11 through 15 for you. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. And we'd love to get your feedback, guys. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know where you agree, where you disagree, what we got right, what we got wrong, who you would have on this list, where you guys would have these guys rated. We'd love to hear from you guys, so feel free to interact with us there. Always welcome to do that. But thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.